Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network's Movie Review Club. I, we can't call it summer anymore. I, I don't even think we can necessarily call it blockbusters because some of the movies we're going to review are not going to fall into that category. But there's you know, a bunch of movies that Mark and I want to review and talk about and whatnot. So here we are. Uh, I'm Robert Winfrey. Thank you all so very much for tuning in, for listening. Uh, and we appreciate it here a lot. Now, normally this uh, little get-together that Mark and I have is done on Wednesday nights. Uh, I was actually supposed to have Minions off. I was going to be covering UFC Fight Night 71. It was an okay night of fights. There was a heavyweight fight that was sloppy as hell, but it ended quickly, so I'm not going to complain too much. Uh, the top two fights were fine. The Everything else kind of kind of blah but anyway the point is i was supposed to have that one off mark was going to be on here with his wife they were going to review minions and life was going to go on the schedule then got screwed around with a little bit the orange is the new black review wound up being on wednesday we pushed this to friday and i'm taking a week off from everyone loves a bad guy but it will be back next week with a look at the rogues gallery of ant-man and the various people who have donned that particular costume because there's more than one all right but mark mark's here with me Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Uh, how did you, uh, yeah, how's your day going? And have you been beset by small yellow evil minions? I think we should just talk about Comic-Con. Let's talk about that Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice trailer, huh? Huh? Let's talk about Suicide Squad, huh? Huh? Oh. They're both going to suck. How about that? So minions. <laughs> Today was good. Uh, I took my daughter to go see Ant-Man, and uh, for those of you look, who, who do listen to the Rattlers and Broadcasting series of podcasts uh, for parenting advice, because I know you do, I know you, 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 uh, you haunt our shows looking for pearls of wisdom for parenting your children. Uh, if you've got a four-year-old that you're trying to take to the movies, best thing to do is go to the first show. They're usually, uh, they're usually pretty well awake and can tolerate the longer than average for a ch children's movie uh, running length. So uh, my daughter was able to get through all of Ant-Man, and her takeaway from Ant-Man was she liked the ants. They were like puppies. She also liked Evangeline Lilly uh, because she was a strong woman. So, so my daughter is an early feminist, you see. Yes, you, you, you have failed deeply and fundamentally in the rearing of your child. Do I need to get my wife on here, sir? <laughs> I'm just saying, if, the, if you're already a feminist at that age, you've failed. Listen, it's not that like I encouraged it. It's just her, and intrinsically, uh, she is attracted to anything involving women uh, being successful. I put the WWE on. She, other than Neville, who she seems to have a crush on, who she calls Nipple, don't ask why. Um, she. She uh, she likes it when the when the women are fighting. She you know she'll look up from her iPad or whatever, and she's very interested in the divas uh, wrestling. 
so not so much last night with Sasha Banks and uh, Charlotte. She looked up for a little bit and she was like, meh. Uh, when it's the UFC, again, she's interested in the women fighting. Uh, she probably won't make it to the Ronda Rousey uh, Brazilian pig hostage fight. But, uh, you know. Well, that's because it's not going to air until after midnight your time for one reason. Well, that's what I'm saying. She'll be she'll be dead asleep. I can't get I can't get to go see a pet pen, uh, you when I wanted to. Um, but anyway, anything that that involves if you ask her, Lily, what did you think of such and such? She was like, I like the girl. So she she's she even at even at four years old, going on five, she's already looking for female role models. This is all very important. So Deeply. I asked her, what did she think of Ant Man? Did she like the movie? What was her favorite part? Uh, that the ants were like puppies, and uh, she liked the girl. Well, I imagine your daughter is one of the only people who is going to be interested in Evangeline Lilly's performance, but I'll take it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so my opinion might change, but I'm not a big fan. And we'll talk more about this um, this Wednesday coming up on our uh, movie review club. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of minions, which is what actually came out and what we're going to talk about here tonight, come hell or high water, though we'll probably have at least two other distractions along the way. At least. Yeah. Okay, this movie just absolutely came out and it made, good grief, something like $400 million worldwide. It killed. It absolutely killed at the box office. Uh, which is not. It had a seventy-four million dollar budget worldwide. It's been four hundred and fifty-four point three million dollars. So Terminator hello, financial wishes. success. Terminator wishes it made that kind of money. Terminator wishes that kind of. It could smell that kind of money. It can't even see that kind of money with a pair of binoculars from where it sits. All right, it's just. It's completely out of the ballpark for that movie, and. I'll review the basic plot structure here, and then I want to get into a few of I posted, a, I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity to talk about this at length, so I gave a real brief summary of my thoughts on Facebook, and I'll say the same things here, but I can expand on my thoughts a little bit more. But the basic premise of this is the Minions, as we know them from the Despicable Me series, are, they've been around forever. They, in various forms, including single-celled organisms, where they tried to follow around with whatever happened to be the biggest and baddest form of evolution going on at the time, and tried their best to provide assistance. And they failed miserably. Every single time. They try to help the Tyrannosaurus Rex, they wind up knocking it into a volcano. They try to help early man, and they give him a fly swatter instead of a club to fight a grizzly bear. That ends very poorly for primitive man. They try to, you know, help the pharaohs, and they build the pyramids wrong, and it crushes the, you know, most of the Egyptian populace. They try to help Dracula, and they wind up exposing him to sunlight while throwing a birthday party. They shoot Napoleon with a cannon while trying to assist the, you know, ruler of most of Europe at various points in time. It, it just never works out well for the minions. So they sequester themselves in a cave. Uh, apparently this cave is, you know, it's either in Nepal or the Antarctic or somewhere in Siberia. It's never made very clear. I assume it's the Antarctic because that's the most remote thing possible. But without an evil master to serve the minions languish, they become sedentary. There's nothing going on. So three of the minions decide they must go find a new evil boss to emerge. They emerge into the world in the year of 1968. Horrible year. 
and our three protagonists decide go on a quest for you know villains that the rest of their tribe can serve. They find Sandra Bullock's character Scarlet Overkill, who wants to become Queen of England for no discernible reason, other than you know Queen of England. And England in the late '60s actually meant something. Uh, they screw it up. She gets mad at them, tries to have them killed. They try to apologize. They make things worse. They wind up defeating her. And at the end, they find a very young Gru. And the minions have found their master for time and all eternity type of thing. I, I don't know. It's it's, there's not a lot of plot here. There's not a lot of you know good dialogue or strongly drawn characters. This is a movie that goes from gag to gag to gag, and it completely lives and dies on whether or not the gags are funny. And thankfully, they're funny. So they got that right, at least. Um, I want to talk about two things. The first thing is, before the movie even started, <clears throat> I was put in a, in a good place to enjoy the movie. Uh, I went with my wife and my daughter. My son, obviously not old enough to go to a regular movie, uh, stayed with his grandmother, and uh, so the three of us are there, and we're watching the trailers. And my daughter is like John Madden; she's narrating the trailers as we go along. You know, look, there's this, there's that, there's the other thing, and you had to say, "You can't do that. <laughs> you have to stop talking at some point." And then we saw the trailer for uh, actually the writers of Despicable Me One, Two, and upcoming Three in 2017. Oh, please tell uh, me you're referencing the trailer for The Secret Life of Pets. I'm getting there. So, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll just say there's a, there, there's a, a, a segment of the trailer where I laughed so hard I nearly blacked out. Okay, I it, I, I can even tell you what one it was for everyone who hasn't seen the trailer. You laughed at the head banging poodle, didn't you? Oh my god, I'm still laughing at that. <laughs> I'll walk around the house going bounce. <laughs> And I can't control myself. My, like, to the point where my daughter looked at me, she was like, is dad going to be okay? And, and my wife just says, no, Lily, we've lost him. Uh, is he going to be okay? Well, we'll see. Um, but to set this up real quick for people, uh, you know, they're showing, the whole, the whole trailer is little snippets of people leaving their pets at home and what the pets do while, while they walk away. I have no idea what this movie's about or if it even has a plot. I don't care. Um, but it's various pets. There's like a half a dozen in this trailer. And one of the last ones is, you know, you have a very a very rich, very nice setup and, you know, and a very... Uh, uh, it's a nice classical man. music going on in the background. I wish I could remember right. the piece off the top of my head, but I can't. And, and uh, we have a very, very nicely cut French poodle uh, standing at attention. He says, okay, Reginald, have a nice day. And he leaves him with the classical music playing on the iPod. The dog uh, walks over to the iPod, nuzzles, uh, nuzzles it with his nose, at which point the whole room starts flashing black and red, and you hear System of a Down bounce, and all the dogs start headbanging. <laughs> and nothing after that, nothing after that could have possibly been bad, because I was too busy laughing at that the whole movie. Yeah, that, I, I was, again, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that movie uh, when it comes out, probably next year. Uh, it looks like it'll be a fun one. So Cinco and, Paul, hang on, this is the second, this is kind of my lead into this. So Cinco Paul and Ken Daria are the uh, writers, as I said, of both the Spickle Me movies um, and the upcoming one, Spickle Me 3. They also, they, they, 
they backed off of uh, the franchise, so new writers came over, came to take over Minions, uh, and they're currently working on, or they had worked on, the uh, the Secret Life of Pets. Now, why am I bringing up the writers um, that didn't even work on this movie? Well, apparently they're Mormons. They are uh, members of the LDS Church, Latter-day Saints, and there's a uh, an interview that's been making its way around the internet about how uh, Mormonism and, and religion ha- plays a role in their writing. Apparently, it was very much embedded uh, in the Despicable Me scripts. Um, I'm not going to read you the whole thing here, but there's a, uh, a question here about, you know, are there specific instances where your Mormon beliefs got written into the scripts for characters? They talked about Horton, and they talked about the prayer scene in Despicable Me, and they talked about redemption and forgiveness, being themes that, that are, you know, uh, in religion, but they also wanted in Despicable Me. Um, and, the, and the reason why I, was, I, I happened to have found this was, and part of the reason why I wanted to make sure we did this review tonight, I don't know if it was done, I mean, I've seen the bad reviews, and I don't totally disagree with what, what Mr. Winfrey said here about it being sort of a loose plot with a string of gags. Um, you know, it, as Sean and I have said, you can... You know, children's movies can be good. See Inside Out as an example of how you can do a movie that appeals to children while still putting it on a level that adults can appreciate it and, you know, and give you something to think about and talk about. Um, this was not that movie. <laughs> this was definitely written for lowest common denominator. But I thought something jumped out at me, and I was talking to my wife about this because initially she was supposed to do the review with me. So we started sharing some ideas and talking about it, and I said... You know, the premise of the movie is that these minions uh, serve a master. They serve a higher purpose, um, something greater than their own. And I, I was thinking about the sequence in the, in the movie. And if Winfrey, if you want, if you want to describe it a bit, uh, we can go ahead and do that. But there's a whole sequence in the movie where they give up on finding a master. And they develop a civilization all their own. Uh, and it, it's going well for a little bit, but after a while, they start to realize that without a higher purpose, without a big boss, as it's called in the movie, their lives are utterly meaningless, and they and, and they kind of go to this place of banality. Um, and it's, and that's where our hero of the story, Kevin, and his two uh, partners, Stuart and Bob. Um, did I get the names right? Yeah, Stuart and Bob. Okay, no, the, the first one. Is it Kevin? Yeah, Kevin. Okay. Um, decide that they're they are going to resume the search for a big boss uh, in order to save their civilization. I don't know if the writers meant to do this. I don't even know if they if 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 they if they listened to me talk about it. If they even realized they did it. But I thought the movie came across as very much pro religion. Now, don't throw anything at me yet. Listen to what I'm saying. I said this may have been done entirely unintentionally, but I, I find it interesting that, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I get that they have to do it this way in order to move the plot forward, but they had an open canvas, and all they had to work with was at the end of the day, they had to go work for Gru. They could have gotten there any, any number of ways. They chose to get there by means of find a higher purpose, lose a higher purpose, repeat, 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 give up, live in a world without serving a higher purpose and finding it lacking. So re- resume the search. 
And that, to me, plays this, along the same lines as, you know, tr- uh, finding a religion, finding a God, finding a, you know, finding a savior, and deciding, I don't need any of this, and then discovering that your life doesn't have any meaning. And so you, you, know, you fall back to the church or the synagogue or whatever. Um, it's entirely possible, and this is where I'll shut up and let Robert yell at me, uh, that I'm overthinking this, and they didn't even come close to uh, to putting that in the movie. But I'm not the only one that came up with that, because my wife more or less came to the same conclusion, that this was very much a pro-religion movie, whether or not it meant to be. You're putting me in an awkward position, because uh, normally speaking, this is the point where I would present a counter-argument, but uh, as an LDS man myself, I'm having a difficult time yeah, emotionally investing and telling you you're an idiot for thinking that. So I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Admit it. You wanted me on here because I'm the only Mormon you know, aren't I? <laughs> Honestly, no. I, I wanted you on here because I wanted you to tell me that, that these people were, you know, that these people were trying to appeal to children uh, at the lowest common denominator possible, and that this was a that this was just a cheap cash grab, and you're overthinking it. That's what I wanted you to say. You're overthinking you were, it. Do you really believe that, or do you actually see my point and are now just trying to play along? I can see your point. I still think you're overthinking it. Okay. Why? Well, first of all, yes, this is a children's movie. This is not just a children's movie that can play for adults and is very well written. This is a kid's movie with gag after gag after gag every so many minutes to keep their attention. And this is not... A, and I don't mean to be overly negative because, again, the gags, such as they are, are very funny. Uh, the baby with the hand grenade, I still laugh about. Mostly because, again... The, I don't remember yeah. the hand grenade. You don't remember? They get, they come away from robbing the bank and uh, the baby in the front seat has a hand grenade and he pulls the pin out of it and the dad has to throw it out the window? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, okay, now, now I'm with you. Again, baby with a hand grenade made me laugh. They're kind of poking fun at conventions made me laugh. Uh, you know, Gru showing up at the end was good. Uh, all the stuff they did in Buckingham Palace was pretty funny. Yeah, again, so gags and the gags in and of themselves are funny, which is what this movie lives and dies by. Now, I will say that you're I understand your point and that this is very much you want me to say that at its core the movie is pro-religion. I will agree with that. I can see the argument. I also don't think that's a very kind of conscious effort being put forth. I think it's more incidental to how they told the story. Well, yeah. And again, here's the other thing about this. We are all shaped by our experiences. We're all shaped by the lives we've led, the things we've seen and done, so on and so forth. And, you know, if the, if part of who the writers are involves some of that emotion, some of that, you know, looking for answers, finding purpose in life and whatnot, and they approach and, you know, that, you know, subconsciously seeped into them telling the story of these, you know, little, you know, little yellow minions who desperately wish to, you know, find their place in the world, then okay. I don't think it's an overtly, you know, again, pro or anti-religious message. I think you can make arguments that it's simply about finding one's place in the world, whatever that happens to be. And religion, be it you know there or not, is incidental in many ways. You I, know what, 
the irony of this movie is that, um, you know, I, I, you and I made this plan a couple of days ago, and, and uh, I sent you a message, and I said, I want to have a discussion about how this movie is pro-religion, and, you, and your answer to me was, well, what idiot wrote that? And I said, I'm the idiot. Um, but at that point, I was on a mission. <laughs> See, I'll own up to things. I don't care. I'm bad, um, as Dusty Rose would say. But uh, I, at that point, I was on a mission. Um, I immediately started looking on the internet for uh, proof of this. And what I in- instead came away with was how poorly this movie has been reviewed. Like, there are, like I, I don't remember what it got on Rotten Tomatoes, um, but it... I'll look. Yeah, I think it's in the 70s, it, it, it might, either the 50s or the 70s. Um, it wasn't reviewed well. You know, a lot of people are coming away 54 with 54 at the moment. 54. So it's, it's certified rotten, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people are just like, it, are basically saying what you're saying. It's just a string of gags. It's not very well written. We don't have well-defined characters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I started going to some of the religious blogs uh, the, and religious... The top critics review have it at 29%, for those of you who care about generic versus top critics. So... Um, so I started looking at some of the religious periodicals and blogs and seeing if, you know, doing keyword searches, seeing if there was anyone that, you know, that was defending this movie on the grounds that I, that, uh, that I had laid out at the top of this podcast. And I got the opposite. There are people complaining about this. First of all, beyond the movie, people are still complaining about the cursing McDonald's toy, which isn't really cursing, but um, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I won't talk about it because all you have to do. That is, is the height of stupidity. Yeah. Um, or the depths, I suppose, would be a better way to phrase than that. But there's a controversy about a cursing minions toy. In any case, but a lot of the religious folks that have reviewed the movie are like, "This doesn't have the redemptive qualities of Despicable Me. This is just. This is a very empty and banal movie." And I was like. Really, I'm the only one seeing that they because they and it's funny because they all start their reviews the same way. They talk about finding a higher purpose. Isn't a higher purpose another way of saying finding God, or or am I the only one that thinks that way? Uh, you're absolutely not the only one who thinks that way. There's a couple of issues we're probably going to run run into when it comes to re, you know finding religious reviews of this movie. One of them being. Religious reviews tend to be, first of all, overtly biased. And and here's the other thing about this. From a craft standpoint, as you and I have touched on, there's issues with this movie. And when you've got so many issues of how it's made, so many fundamental issues, then in a lot of ways, maybe the overarching message kind of gets lost. And... That's probably a bit of a, the issue here. Now, as far as you know, your point about this being very kind of pro-religion in a sense, it, it is, and that doesn't bother me in the least. But I'm also not easily offended, unlike apparently 90% of America, who has to throw a little <laughs> hissy fit about every little thing that goes on in their life. Oh, yes. We have a minion wearing a thong, and that made it into a lot of reviews. So they ignored I didn't the need the visual image, but I laughed at it. They ignore the the um, 
the message about finding a higher purpose and finding God, which you know, which people could have used it, but if nothing else, for propaganda purposes, and immediately focus in on the crass humor and some of the you know, uh, you know, fart joke type stuff that goes on in this movie. Like, wow, you people cut off your nose to spite your face, don't you? Um, a lot but, of them do. So let's let's put this to the side because I don't I don't want to belabor the point. Um, now you you're talking about craft issues, I or narrative issues that that, that play into craft. I didn't find the movie to have tremendous a tremendous amount of narrative issues. I got bored once or twice. Um, I you know I I don't I think the running time is about ninety minutes, which is which is about right for a kids movie. And I think even at ninety minutes, I was like, could we get on with this? Um, I even I think my daughter even towards the end was like. Uh, until they got to the final action sequence where the minions were in physical danger, uh, they were like before that she was getting antsy. Like, like come on, let's let's move this on. Um, I thought the movie flowed pretty well up until the King Bob sequence, and in between King Bob and the final action sequence where uh, Scarlet tries to kill them, it just kind of meanders. Like, you know, I, I you have the torture sequence, which is funny. Um, Very, but in be- but in between all of that, I was like, Ugh, again, like like they like we never get anywhere um, until yeah. uh, until that's the like issue with the story. Uh, I mean, my other issue with the story is again the lack of uh, again, all the characters are very flat. Um, uh, I, I, yeah. Oh, oh come on! There's much- not there's not even depth to you know Scarlet Overkill, your main villain. There's no, de- you know, she wants to be Queen of England. That and like, okay, why? Well, because she does. She wants the crown. Why? Well, because oh, all no, little no. girls want to be want crowns, right? No, well, there, was, she made, there was dialogue in the movie that that supported more than that. That there were, she, I mean, you can say that she's sort of a two dimensional character, but this two dimensional character still there was more going on there than I think people are giving her credit for. You listen to what she says. She says that no one believed in her when she was an up-and-coming crook, and the more people discounted her, the, the, the harder she fought, and she became the biggest crook in the world. Um, the crown is supposed to signify, the, it's supposed to put the final exclamation point on that. She was, she was out to prove her worth, her medal, and she felt like that if she stole the crown and became queen, she would tell all those doubters, all those people who still, you know, talk about her that, you know, that she's bad and she, and she knows she's bad. Can you tell I watched the Dusty Road documentary recently? Yeah, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> they were, listen, she, she grew up on hard times, Robert Winfrey. Hard times. I'll have to take your word for it because you put a great deal more thought into that character than anyone who wrote the movie, apparently. <laughs> I listened to what the woman said. I heard what she up. said. I just feel it. Again, it's very flat. And okay, again, it's not the she's not the worst character in the movie. Let's be perfectly clear about that because that probably goes to her husband, who does. He's not John even a good Hamm. mad scientist. Listen, John Hamm's performance is that character. There's there's nothing more to that character than John Hamm's. Basic John Hamm's last name is an accurate representation of his skills. But that's the thing. Like, I didn't care that he had that he basically didn't have a character. 
um, that, that that character was just all personality, uh, all um, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, Hogan has a lot of it. That's how he became so popular. Charisma. Uh, charisma. There we go. That the John Hamm character is all personality and charisma. There's nothing more to him than that. But that to me was enough. <laughs> he was the, he was like the most fun character to watch in the entire movie. Uh, all right, if you say so. I do say so. In my opinion. I, again, look, honestly, here's my thing with this movie, and you can take this however you like. I watched it. I laughed at it. I enjoyed it. I now remember very little about it. Just, you know, a (laughs) couple of days later. I I seem to remember more about it than you do uh, at this point. You probably do. Uh, it didn't leave much of an impact on me. There was, I mean, again, funny gags. I remember laughing. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, being entertained for the majority of it, but none of it really sunk in beyond, oh, that's funny. Um, it was, I, I thought, uh, you know, when, uh, when, when Bob pulls the sword from the stone. And <laughs> when he removes Excalibur. Bob. <laughs> okay, the dry British guy going, we have a new king, it's Bob, who is apparently a bald, jaundiced child. <laughs> See, that's funny. Um, I, I wanted the minions to kill the Beatles, because I hate the Beatles. And was, they had the opportunity. They had it, and it just slipped right through their fingers. Um, my wife, who's a huge Beatles fan, laughed pretty hard at that. Um... I mean, them showing up at Orlando and it's nothing but a swamp in 1968 was pretty funny. Yeah, well, again, having lived here and knowing the history of Florida, I read a really good book about how they, they basically drained the swamp and built a city. Um, and that's thanks to the swamp. But the fourth one stayed up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of movies that are nothing but gags connected by a very loose plot. <laughs> if you can tell me what the plot of Monty Python's The Holy Grail is, I will give you one cool nickel. Um, <laughs> the, I, I started to have an issue with the movie out of, you know, besides boredom, um, where after Bob becomes king, you know, and they're doing, you know, and they're taking advantage of their new station in life, and, they, you know, and Scarlet over, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what happened to trying to find, you know, a greater purpose in life? You know, like, like there was this huge distraction. And they made up for it when, when Scarlet was like, I want the crown and you stole it from me. And they're like, here, <laughs> this will make you happy. I actually like that, you know, because they, because it, they went right back to what, what made these characters who they are, which is, you know, wanting to serve and please someone else besides themselves. Um, but, you know, it was almost like everything that Scarlet does from that point on, they're doing it because she has to. You know, and somebody who really studies villains, I'm, I'm sure that came across to you as very, as very forced. Like, like you know, her I, decision I think, to try and kill them makes no sense. I mean, here's my so, biggest gripe with it: she wants to be queen, she wants the crown. Bob becomes king, abdicates, gives her the crown, alters a few laws in the process so that he can do that, and her response is, for no apparent reason, "Okay, I hate you, and now you're going to die." Well, again, she says why. She says, you know, I can't live with the fact that you did something before I did. So, you know, so that's that's why she's killing them, you know, out of revenge. And it doesn't matter that she's getting what she wants. They still stole the crown 
when that was supposed to be her achievement. So it's sort of an empty victory. It came across as extraordinarily forced and flat. And well, we can't. We. It seems like at the end of this movie, they had to get to Gru. Well, and, that's, that's my point. And that's, that's yeah, what and I they was didn't saying, have right? a legitimate way to get Scarlet to turn on the minions, or vice versa, until they <laughs> dropped the chandelier on her. At which point, fine, I believe it. I mean, I, it would have been so much better if they had kind of skipped the torture scene at first. I mean, don't get me wrong; the scene's hilarious. But if they skip that and they drop the chandelier on her, ruining her coronation, and then she freaks out, okay. Uh, again, all of a sudden things make a lot more sense because now they've ruined her moment completely and utterly. Right. I um I wish they had actually introduced Gru a little bit earlier. I wish he had been, you know, I wish he. I, I understand that this was their movie, but as many of the reviews are pointing out, like as much as people appreciate them. You know, and they're they're all over Facebook, I guess. I don't know. I don't pay that close attention. Um, too busy. Too busy You're too, too busy, busy finding up. support for your for your robot apocalypse theory, and not theory. Finding the you know, the stupidity of people to relay to the rest of the world. And um, look, the minions are great. All right, let's be very clear. They as characters and what they bring to the two Despicable Me movies are a big part of why those movies are successful. They're funny, they're side gags, they're a way for characters to interact with things, It's and you get to do goofy stuff with them, they're great. But they're a side gag. They're spice. They're a garnish. They are not a main course. And that's a... I had, I had serious concerns about that when this was announced. Like, wait a minute. You're taking a gag on the side and you're making a whole, you know, 90 minute movie about it. That's, that doesn't work too well. I was going to say, it would be like taking the, the, I think it's the Kevins or whatever the character, the the boyfriend that she's obsessed with in inside out, um, who the former bridge so that the joy can get back to central command or uh, the ideal boyfriend or what have you, the imaginary boyfriend. Right. And making an entire movie about him. Yeah, and it's it's not a good idea, by and large, from a narrative standpoint. It, there's a lot of issues there. And, you know, I'm kind of with you about Gru. If he shows up a little bit earlier, maybe we get a better kind of lead into the third act where we get some, uh, a, some you know, different conflict or whatnot. And instead we get, you know, minions singing, trying to amuse yetis. But, and that whole yeti bit was tacked on just to kill time. Let's all be again. There's no reason for it other than killing time. <laughs> yeah, and well, letting the minions sing. Felt like it, it just felt like like they had certain plot points they knew they were going to put in the movie, and then they didn't know what to do in between. Instead of maybe writing so, a piece of stuff. So yeah, so the minions, you know, they wind up in Australia, thinking it's England. They walk across the set of the staged moon landing, even though the moon landing wasn't staged. They walk across the set of that and freak out Stanley Kubrick. They wind up in uh, India at one point. <laughs> I really wanted them to be the cause of the Titanic sinking, but the timing was all wrong mm-hmm. for that. Somebody actually, um, one of the reviews I read, somebody actually said, I don't get it. Are the minions supposed to be minions or are they gremlins? Because of, you know, because they kept showing up in like, you know, different things and causing havoc mysteriously. 
that was a funny point. Well, and you can maybe argue that most gremlin myths stemmed from the minions and their propensity for screwing things up throughout history, and that's a fine argument that I won't, you know, bring up too much. But it, it does kind of muddy the waters in a sense, in that you know, again, the minions, them trying to get to England was time filler, and it was absolutely not needed. And no, I, I don't disagree with that. Like I said, I I really did feel like a lot of. Uh, a lot of what was put in there was them just not knowing what the story was, and they're like, "Okay, well, we we know that the, at the end they got to be with Gru, but we don't know how we're quite we're going to get there, so we'll just keep doing gags." Um, but I thought, like, just just to drive this point home, um, I think if they had integrated Gru into the story a little bit more, you know, like have him kind of be in the background for the first two acts, but you know, maybe you know he. Having what he does at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, uh, where he steals the crown and then they just kind of follow him off, I thought was was really stupid. I was like, okay. It was deeply abrupt at the very least. Why, yeah, why, why not have him be the one that disturbs the coronation? Um, and, now, and, now, and now you've got a chase going on. The minions are now chasing him because he's got the crown. He's the bigger bad guy. She's chasing the minions and him. And every, you know, and now you've got kind of like a Benny Hill thing going on, <laughs> you know. And at the end, you know, at the end, the minions help Gru uh, defeat her, and they all go off into the sunset together. At least that would would have, I don't know, just off the top of my head, I think that would have been a more satisfying ending. Them doing it right at the very end, after they after they themselves have already been the heroes, like you gave them a hero's arc, and then made them some servant, uh, made them servants again. Like I, I don't. I don't know if the writers really understood what it was that they were doing. It's a, it's a, it's very muddled. I will say this though: uh, we did. Uh, I fully believe that uh, Bob, not Bob, sorry, Stewart, playing Eddie Van Halen's eruption in front of the crowd on that stage was completely necessary. That that absolutely had to happen. Sure. <laughs> Followed by him smashing his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard at that, and and then and then taking the snow globe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It. As an aside, I enjoyed the bits with the Queen. Um, it reminded me of an Eddie Izzard thing. I don't know if you're a fan of his at all, but um, yeah, I like Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard talks about how, like the '60s, the Queen wasn't so frumpy. She was sort of kip and cool, you know. Um, and it, and so having a Queen that was sort of a card. Uh, was a nice little touch to this, um, and it reminded me of his bit. So I had, I had a good laugh. Her winning you know, arm wrestling contest with the sailors in the pub was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, that's the whole. You know, like I said, it's not a terrible movie. It's like it's like you said, you've got narrative problems. It's just, I guess, at the end of the day, if somebody say, would you know, taking the parts about religion out that I think are elevating it in my mind, take that, take that out, and just sum up the movie in one word, I would just say it's lazy. It really kind of is in a lot of ways. It's you said muddled, and I think that's a pretty accurate descriptor. Now, and again, to everyone out there, this is a funny movie. All right, let me be perfectly clear about that. This is a funny movie. I will probably see it again. I, there's a good chance I'll wind up owning it, and if I'm bored and want to laugh, I'll pop it in. But this is not a particularly, you know, there's not a whole lot of care put into it. There's not a whole lot of thought. Uh, 
I don't think they have as much fun with the setting of, you know, 1968 as they maybe could, apart from a few visual gags. They spend, again, way too much time kind of with the minions. And when you spend that much time with characters that can't, again, they don't speak as far as that. Yeah, I mean, they have their own language, but, you know, they're not necessarily understandable in the traditional sense. They don't, they kind of, again, they're a great garnish, but trying to get you to deeply emotionally connect with your main characters when they're the minions doesn't work very well. You know, it works fine when there's Gru, who's, you know, in the beginning being kind of horrible to children and just, you know, a bit of a malcontent at the same time. You kind of, he's not malicious. He's just, you know, a villain as such go. And then you get a bit of his backstory and you start to see that there's more to his character than just being a jerk. And with the minions, you don't have any depth of character. I mean, they're I mean, they're barely differentiate. You barely tell them apart in the sense that they're completely interchangeable. You know, I mean, sure, Bob, Stuart, and Kevin are all different in the sense that Bob is still very young and has a teddy bear. Uh, Kevin is kind of the leader with a bit of, you know, the moxie. And Stuart likes to play music. But apart from those, those are very broad characterizations. There's nothing there to them, you know? And it you can't invest in characters like that if they're that flat. King Bob! <laughs> the mic drop was funny. <laughs> I just, well, I like the fact that he gives this really heartfelt speech that nobody can understand, and he gets no reaction. And, you know, and, and his ability to read the room <laughs> is so good that he realizes he's lost everybody. So he just double fist pumps and goes, King Bob! And everyone cheers again. And everyone starts cheering again, yeah. He wins them right back. It's great. I'm going to start Not- doing that in the middle of a... Like, I'm going to do that in like, the middle of an argument with, you know, discussions. I'm just going to start yelling at King Bob. All righty then. No, I mean, again, King there were Bob. funny bits. King Bob! Uh, the guards at the Tower of London being hypnotized into singing that bit from Hair and the gibberish of the minions was... That was funny. That also um, angered some religious folks, by the way. And look, I'm a religious person, by and large. I think there's a lot of people out there with at least one stick, probably multiple, shoved entirely too far up their rectums when it comes to crap like that. <laughs> just, just, just pointing it out. All right. Is it's there anything else you want to talk about? I, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to beat this review to death. Um, we spent about forty-five minutes of it, and I think at least ten were talking. We're me talking about the secret life of pets. So. <laughs> If only Kevin Hart weren't on the voice cast. Then again, he might be a fine voice actor. I like Kevin Hart. I actually just watched one of his stand-up routines. It's actually really funny. I I do not find him funny. You hate black people. I do not hate black people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't. You won't go see the NW. You won't go see the NWA movie. You don't like Kevin Hart. I don't like rap music. (laughs) Okay. I take it back. King Bob. (laughs) Look, I don't like Kevin Hart because his humor does not appeal to me. If it does to you, fine. Enjoy. And if he were an, if this was, you know, some kind of live action thing with Kevin Hart, I wouldn't see it because I don't think he's funny. But voice, again, 
I, voice actors are very different from voice acting is very different from physical acting. There's quite a few guys who do voice acting who I enjoy, who I don't like when they do physical acting. I mean, Patrick Warburton, by and large, I don't care for his physical acting. He's a fine voice actor. And I get so there are I others. I just saw the commercial for uh, Paul Blart and Mall Cop Part 2, and every time the, the horse kicks him and he goes flying into the car, I think about my kid laughing hysterically at that. Like, nothing else made that me very That movie is awful. And, and it's not like she's ever going to see it. But, you know, but she seems, but she reacted very viscerally to a man being kicked by a horse. Um, as another aside, talking to my buddy today, he's got... Um, we're very competitive and with each other. Um, you know, we, we, we motivate each other in both good and bad ways. He said we're very competitive. Like, um, so he had, a, he had a, a daughter. I had one nine months later to the day. Um, he had a son. I had one nine months later to the day. Uh, and we both decided that two kids is enough. So, like I said, very competitive. And his daughter uh, apparently is uh, too timid to uh, appreciate uh, movies, by and large. So, like, Inside Out, uh, he hasn't seen it yet, but he thinks it might be too much for her. Um, what else did he... Oh, uh, I, I, I told him I was saying... Yeah, she hasn't seen Toy Story 3 yet because it might be too much for her. Um, she'll become frightened. Uh, meanwhile, I took my kid to go see Ant-Man today, and, you know... <laughs> So you're going that. to rub that in his face for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to rub the fact that I'm going to be able to take my kid to see Star Wars and his plan to bring his uh, uh, has he had to go to the wayside. But um, she, we, we were talking so like right now he's like she's just fine watching the first Toy Story movie. She she can deal with that, but she doesn't like the sequences with Sid. That that gets a little bit too much for her. And I said, really, my kid thinks Sid's hilarious. Well, one of you is raising a sociopath. The other one is not. You know you're the second person <laughs> to tell me that. Uh, and I, I cared. I cared about that because, again. I called you a racist. I, I called you a racist. I figured I had that coming. Um, but I do, I do want to say, in a few years, if she continues this trend of uh, favoring heels, you have, you'll have a co-host for Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. So uh, I can have her on to talk about the virtues of Pinhead and the Hellraiser franchise. Uh, not for a few more years beyond what I just said, but sure. <laughs> not unless she's, she's under my roof. Um, sorry. Well, that's just because you won't let them under your roof because you're afraid. That's right. Dude, I had my eyes shut during the Paranormal Activities uh, Ghost Dimensions trailer, which preceded Terminator for some odd reason. Those... <sighs> I, I think about how good the first two in that series are, and then I just hang my head in shame at the preceding ones. At the sorry, yes, and if, succeeding ones. And if anyone would like to hear uh, hear uh, heads hanging in shame, check out the Long Road to Ruin from a few years ago, our two part series on the Paranormal Activities franchise. Or I also express my displeasure with Nirvana, another band I don't like. And then check out Robert Winfrey's review of, term, uh, of Paranormal Activity 5, The Ghost Dimensions, coming to you this October. Oh, I really don't want to see that movie. Yeah, we all do things in life we don't want to do. I don't, I don't want to pay taxes. That's just life. Yeah, well, 
However much this movie sucks, I am blaming Obama. I just want that on the record. (laughs) Okay, I've already made the black joke once. All right. Eh, Whoever the president is, you know, it's always their fault. Well, the next one's going to be Donald Trump. End this fucking podcast. It is not going to be Donald Trump. You heard me. Look, somehow that man might win the Republican nomination. If it comes down to, and look, if the voting public has to choose between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, first of all, we all know it's going Hillary's way. And at that point, I might actually consider relocating. I bought X-Men Days of Future Past the road cut today. I haven't bought a Blu-ray. I haven't watched it yet because I was too busy cleaning the house with my wife today. But, Mm -hmm. um... I'm probably going to settle in. I'm probably going to give up on watching Bellator tonight and just watch that instead. Michael um, Page already fought and knocked out his opponent. There's nothing else worth watching on that card. I mean, Paul Daly. That's about it. There's nothing good case, about Paul Daly. I haven't bought a Blu-ray in, I don't know how, like, years at this point. Like, occasionally I get one for uh, for Christmas or something. But I, I tend not to buy Blu-rays because I get everything through, through Apple TV. But I really wanted to see the road cut of this movie, and I really and I liked it enough that I felt like, okay, eh, if I drop a buck on this, who cares? So I now own the Days of Future Past road cut Blu-ray. Well, let me know how that turns out for you. I will. All right, and I think that's going to again. That's pretty much everything we have to say on this funny movie. To sum up, funny movie, not terribly bright little bit lazy watch it laugh because you will but there's nothing beyond gags and to be consistent my daughter likes scarlet overkill she thought she was a fun character all right and again (laughs) my uh, sure she was the look she was the only character that such as they were was somewhat defined i mean again the minions are all incredibly static they're mm. bits, not characters. Given, you know, minor traits to define them one from the other, but that's about it. Uh, again, John Ham's character is just, hey, watch John Ham be a ham, and from a voice acting yes, standpoint. I didn't say he wasn't. Look, the only, personally speaking, the only decent thing about the Netflix original series, uh, what is it? Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, something like that, is John mm-hmm. Hamm in the last couple of episodes as the crazy cult leader. Have you seen the Richie Rich uh, live action show uh, that was exclusive to Netflix? It's terrible. No, and now I won't. Oh, I played that for my kids because I figured maybe they, they might like it. Oh, it's so bad. It's, it's, it's another example of, oh, we're writing for kids. Okay, well, we'll write everything stupid. That sounds about right. Okay. And, God, Kimmy Schmidt. It took me three episodes to figure out what I didn't like about that show. That was when I actually watched the credits and, oh, Tina Fey's involved. That's what I don't like. If you're going to see Ant-Man, make sure you stay through the entire credits. There's uh, There's two credit scenes. Okay. Is the last one just a stupid gag or is it, or does it actually set something up? No, it's a lead into Civil War. Okay. Because, again, a few of those, like the, the mid-scene credits seem to be the ones that actually kind of set stuff up, and then the very end ones are just like pseudo-gags. Nope. Well, the, this, and I know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, they're eating shawarma or Howard the Duck 
you know, like there's nothing to in a few of these like final credit scenes. There's like really nothing to them. Um, very few like set up the next movie or whatever. This one sets up a possible Ant-Man sequel or at the very least a continuation of certain characters in other movies where, you know, where they could appear like the Avengers or Civil War or whatever. Um, but the very last sequence of uh, Ant-Man is absolutely a lead into Civil War. All right. I'll be sure to do that. All right. And getting into plugs. Well, this coming Monday, Jesse Starcher will have source material. And since Ant-Man came out, I'm hoping he's synergizing and going with a look at that particular character, some of its most famous stories, so on and so forth. Uh, This Wednesday, Mark and I will be reviewing Ant-Man. Are you guys doing Orange is the New Black on Tuesday, or what's up on Tuesday? It's supposed to be. It'll be uh, 789. Okay. I don't know why that second season just kind of killed me. For that show, I haven't. I got a few episodes into it and just kind of lost interest. Which is sad, because it's a very well-done show. Ooh, guess what? What? I got tickets to go see uh, NXT Live, um, like a taping. Cool. I haunted the website during last night's uh, sleep cast of, uh, <laughs> of the Metal Hammer of Doom. Uh, but I was awake long enough to uh, haunt the, the NXT ticket site. And I got two tickets to to a live taping, which are very hard to get. Yeah, those are. Uh, where are you going to be seated? Um, in the general admission area, the quote-unquote faculty section. Because apparently um, the, the students that go to Full Sail get access to, like, the front row seating. And then, the, then you know, anybody else that wants to uh, come has to general admission. And apparently, the, from what I've been told, because I've missed two of them now that, I, that I, when I was actually looking for tickets... And I was told, like, basically, um, after a taping ends, they'll open up tickets to the next taping. And just about everybody who was at the first taping picks up a ticket for the next one. Like, they've got some pretty, like, like the Full Sail University kids are the, the ones that made it into a taping, you know, at the, at the onset. Pretty much come back for all of them. Kind of like a season ticket thing. They show up, they get it, they pick up their next one on the way out of the door. Okay. Pretty much. Good model. Yeah, you should go yeah, dressed as Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt? Maybe. No, so start growing your beard and hair out. Get a hat. Get the Hawaiian shirt and the white pants and the... Uh, what's he got under that? Like a kind of an Under Armour thing. Seriously, Bray Wyatt. You should do it. Have you been watching Tough Enough? Nope. They asked somebody... Why would to, I? They asked, one, <laughs> they asked one of the contestants to cut a promo on Hulk Hogan... And it was a guy that really doesn't know a lot about professional wrestling and came from MMA. And I was like, God forbid I ever, like, get in enough shape where I can go on to a tough enough context. And, and someone tells me, cut a promo on Hulk Hogan. Oh, my God. Not since uh, CM Punk, so, you know, crisscross applesauce and proceeded to address uh, the public in the shoot heard around the world. Uh, I, I would outdo shoot. that by, by a country mile, the stuff I would say about Hulk Hogan. If your first comment doesn't reference his receding hairline, you will have failed. I just want you to know that. I was going to bring up the fact that how dare he judge anybody else when he's the man who, who killed two companies back-to-back. <laughs> he didn't kill TNA. 
<laughs> you're, you're right. That zombie of a company is still, is still going, uh, oddly enough. I'm not saying they're healthy, but they are still technically alive. Yeah, he, he, he did a very good job of driving that company into the ground. The fact that it's you know living unnaturally is beyond him. Uh, I think they transferred some of the essence of Kurt Angle into the that company because that that's all I've got. Because Kurt Angle is the right. thing that will die. Yeah, him and Vince McMahon. All right. Um, all right. What else? <laughs> okay, wait, on? that was Orange is the New Black. We'll be reviewing Ant Man on Wednesday. Uh, what do you got this Thursday? Metal Hammer of Doom, uh, Cradle of Filth, Hammer of the Witches. All right. So for all people who that sounds like that might appeal to you tune in for that and friday yes, i will into, have a good if you're into theat if you're into theatrical british black metal i got one of those three <laughs> okay but i like my theatrical metal so sue me there you go the british what are you black, doing bad not so much everyone loves a bad guy go yeah, this uh, Friday I will be reviewing, I'll have a look at the Rogues Gallery for Ant-Man in honor of the movie coming out. I don't have a co-host lined up yet, but I imagine somebody's going to want to be on to talk about that. Uh, because, um, what was that? Why don't you get Jesse on? Get Jesse on. He's a big comic book nerd. I'll see if he's free and wants to be on that one. You have to talk about the fact that Hank Pym has become a bad guy as well. That throughout his history, he flip-flopped from being a good guy to a bad guy. The ver- the different versions of Hank Pym and how poorly that character has been handled is the reason they had to go with uh, Scott Lang. <laughs> because really, if you do if you go with Hank Pym as Ant-Man for this movie, and you get all the people who are curious about Ant-Man and they Google Hank Pym and they come across that, you know, panel of him slapping his wife, sorry, that's <laughs> not going to fly. <laughs> And heaven forbid uh, they look up the Ultimates version of Hank Pym, where he's just a sociopath. Yeah, Hank... Oh, there goes Paul, Paul Blart again. Um, yes, Hank Pym as uh, his own worst enemy by certain... But, but, you know, somebody who examines bad guys, you have to talk about that. I will. Um, okay, and then this Saturday, the, a week from Saturday, uh, the week that we're talking about is... Um, UFC on Fox, right? Dillashaw versus Barrow too. This time the rematch. No one asked for. <laughs> Seriously, that's their their tagline for this is the rematch the world's been waiting for, and I went really because no, I don't no, think the many- real fight. The real fight that people are interested in, I think, if anyone's still interested in MMA at all, is Misha Tate versus Jessica Evil Eye. That's an awful fight too, because Misha Tate is awful. I, it, could, it could determine the next person to fight Ronda Rousey after uh, Brazilian pick hostage. I don't care. Look, if Misha Tate wins this fight, no one's going to care because Ronda's cleaned her clock twice. No one cares. Look, the women's bantamweight division in the UFC is the Ronda Rousey show. It show up, let's see how fast and how brutally Ronda can beat this opponent. And that's all it is, and they're making money, so good on them. But let's not pretend anyone's actually invested in Misha Tate. <laughs> okay. Apart from Brian Caraway, uh, who in addition to being a crappy fighter, is probably the worst corner man in MMA. Uh, yeah. All right, anything else? 
Uh, this Saturday, early morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be on 411 Mania providing live coverage of UFC Fight Night 72, Bisbing versus Latus. Yay. This event comes to the world live from Scotland, which is why it's so early. Uh, I will be up. I will be providing coverage. So stop by and say hello. I've reviewed. I've provided live coverage and subsequent reports for two other events this week. Uh, on Wednesday, there was the there was UFC Fight Night seventy one, headlined by Mir versus Duffy, and that fight made me just angry from a technical standpoint because it was awful. But it lasted less than two minutes, and it's heavyweight, so I'm not going to complain. Todd Apart from Duffy, Todd Duffy looking like Todd Duffy sucks. Let's be honest. And Frank Mir, kind of second time. And look, Frank Mir, Frank Mir does not suck, but let's all not kid ourselves about his ceiling at this point in time. All right. If the way the heavyweight's going, he could end up fighting for the title again. I want him to fight Verdum just because Verdum would break his arm, and that would make me happy. And they haven't fought yet, have they? No. But no, Verdum would. Yeah, but I mean, tell I, you I, what, I, Frank I, Mir just won a fight. Cain Velasquez needs a rebound victim. There's your fight. And they haven't. They were gonna fight, but then that fight ended up having to be squashed because Overeem uh, was on Kryptonite. Correct? Something like that. I, I, again, I'm just saying, you got a fight right there. Cain Velasquez needs to bounce back after after he lost to Verdum. There's Frank Mir. Eh? Let Cain yeah, murder him in the ring. Right. If you'll remember the all heavyweights pay per view. It was supposed to be JDS versus um, Overeem. JDS versus yeah. Overeem, and then Velasquez versus Mir. But then, J- uh, yeah, Overeem failed massive drug tests, and fights got shuffled, and he wound up murdering, and Velasquez wound up murdering Bigfoot Silva. All right, uh, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up. Since you've listened so long to hear us talk about MMA. Again, that's all. Of, that's what's coming along in the upcoming weekend. This coming Sunday, as always, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I host the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show. So tune in for that. Big, uh, big, you know, week. Until next time, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>